Hello everybody and welcome back to Ear Read This. My name's Ash and continuing on from yesterday's episode on The Green Knight by Iris Murdoch, today I am once again joined by Miles Leeson to talk a little bit more generally about his work on Iris Murdoch, some of her other novels and how Murdoch's reputation has changed in the years since her death. Miles is the lead editor of the Iris Murdoch Review, director of the Iris Murdoch Research Centre at Chichester University, and host of the Iris Murdoch Society podcast, which I strongly recommend and you'll hear a little bit more about on today's episode. Links to all three you can find in the episode description box below, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm interested to know a bit more about um, what Murdoch didn't like about postmodern novels, because I think I, I... I've probably come at Iris Murdoch through postmodernist writers, right. who you mentioned sort of her London. I, I I think some of them, like if I can include Martin Amis in that, in the sure. postmodern London, I probably read him before. Oh no, I definitely read him before I read Iris Murdoch. And reading Iris Murdoch made me see the influence of her on him. I think a lot, of, a lot of the assembly of his novels represents. You know, you could reorganize the furniture and see sort of Mur- Murdoch kind of elements here and there. Mm. I mean, and, and, they were, they, and they were friends. I mean, um, Iris was great friends with her, um, with, um, his, with his father, Kingsley. And um, yeah, and Iris was a, a figure in his childhood and she would, you know, re- she, he would regularly see her. Yeah. And, and um, he was always very complimentary about her. I mean, he mentions her in um, Inside Story. It was out last year. Mm. Um, he quite often reviewed her work. Um, so yeah, and I, I think in the War on Cliche collection, she's also in there. Yeah, so she's a, she's not to the same extent as Bellow or Nabokov mm. uh, for Amos, but certainly um, I think Murdoch is a, a touchstone for him, both personally and in his own fiction. Yeah. So what what was it that sh- that she didn't like about postmodernism? This idea that there was no such thing as truth, that actually you couldn't grasp truth or you couldn't reach out towards it. Um, right. That goodness or um, evil were all just wordplay and didn't have any um, any reality. That um, you know, grand meta narratives like Christianity um, were were just part of part of one one story amongst others. She mm. very much wanted to keep some of the structural um, belief of Christianity without having a Christ figure. You know, she didn't believe in an afterlife. She didn't believe in God the Father or. Um, a personalised Christ that died and suffered. And yet she said, we've got to keep hold of the furniture. We've got to keep hold of the structure. We can't allow um, Western archetypes to die. And I think there's that's something that comes through to a particular extent um, in The Green Knight. It's more obvious in others. Um, here, of course, uh, we're also plunged into Eastern thought and particularly into Buddhism with, with Peter Meir. Um, she wasn't also keen on um, books where you had to engage with a whole lot of other kind of subject material, even though in her books, of course, there are other subjects. You didn't have to read that for the plot. She didn't like books that were disjointed, mm. um, particularly. She wasn't she um, wasn't keen on structuralism. Um, she was very down on Nietzsche and Derrida, um, and people. And she, she saw them very much as working in tandem. And she and she saw Heidegger as being um, evil. This idea that you can actually split ideas of being. She said that no, people are concrete realities. And should be dealt with as such. And yet, in her um, in her seventy three novel, The Black Prince, um, she decides to um, write an experimental novel, which does have postscripts and introductions, and has this kind of um, fictionalized editor, mm. um, which turns out to be a Greek god. Um, 
Yeah, it's an amazing novel. If you haven't read it, um, anybody listening, um, do read Black, uh, Black Prince. Maybe not the first one, um, mm. but certainly it should be on your list. Um, <laughs> but then she very much said, actually, what I want to be is a writer in the mode of Jane Austen and um, Charles Dickens, Henry James. I want to be like a Dostoevsky. I want mm. to be like one of the great Russian or great British, great British writers. Um, she didn't have much time for modernism either. She didn't have much time for streams of consciousness and Virginia Woolf, for example. Mm. Um, I mean, she could admire it, she said, but she it didn't really speak to her. So yeah, she's she very much wants to get back to the nineteenth century mode of writing and to be infused by Shakespeare and so much else. Mm. Um, did she achieve it? Well, to a certain extent, she did, um, and yet I think she's also well aware that to, you can't write a novel from the eighteen sixties in the nineteen nineties. It's just not going to work. Mm. Um, it's interesting that one of her great champions and a fantastic novelist in her own right, A.S. Byatt. Um, who loved her work and obviously took a great deal of inspiration from her. The Green Knight was the point that she said, I had to leave Iris behind. She just didn't speak to me anymore. Really? The idea that these, yeah, the idea that there were these teenage girls who had a kind of a singing room and they grouped around and sang songs and they didn't. <laughs> they weren't going out and, and watching TV and acting as young girls do in the, in the 80s and 90s, listening mm. to punk music or, you know, going to clubs or whatever. She said it just doesn't ring true for me, and I had to leave Iris behind. She just wasn't a realist for me anymore. And I can and I can see see her point. And yet, we're not really in in a, um, a fully realised London. This is Murdoch's London, yeah. and we have to, we just have to appreciate that. Did, did they become less realistic then the novels? Because I mean, the nice and the good still has the similar heightened. Yeah, I guess it depends what you want by realism. I and mean, if you want sort of social realism. So something like uh, whether you want something like Nell Dunn's Poor Cow or as you mm. say, something like by, um, by Amos or by McEwen, or you want um, maybe something by, like as Margaret Drabble was writing, you know, so, um, social reality. You're not going to find much of that in Murdoch. Mm. Um, you might find elements of, of, um, of social, um, social kind of um, discussion. What you will find is a fictional space where universals are discussed. Um, good, evil, love, sex, eros, um, elements of psychology, um, interrelationships between people. But they won't be placed in a particular... They will be placed in a particular time, but it will be also out of time. Um, it'll be a, 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 a space that's playful. You know, she was very much rejecting of the angry young man. Um, she got lumped in with them in the 1950s, um, primarily because of the narrator of the, the first novel, Jake Donoghue. Mm. Um, in under the net um, but she said I had I really have nothing in common with um, those that are writing kind of social problem novels what my, my novels are um, my own particular form of realism and I think that and she set out to achieve it and she did mm. it depends on you know as a reader it depends on your individual taste I, I definitely found that reading this one in particular I, I don't think I'd have guessed if I hadn't looked it up I don't think I'd have guessed the decade right that it was that it was written and there's the the occasional 90s relic cropped up as often as the the odd Arthurian one really <laughs> you know and they're equally and, and to her they're equally as valid for writing yeah. this novel yeah. yeah let's um let's get into uh the the, the research center and, and your own um maybe sorry, oh. I should start with the the umbrella question of where where did you first encounter Murdoch yourself well, I was quite lucky that I grew up reading a lot of books uh, my parents quite um quite keen on me reading especially my mother um, although I didn't encounter Irish Murdoch, I, um, I encountered the classics, but I didn't quite quite get onto Murdoch. And then I remember when she died in 99, I remember it being quite a big news item, but I didn't really know who she was. And I was just about to go off to university. And I, 
I studied history at university. And then in, um, at the end of my history degree, which had absolutely nothing connected to, to Irish Murdoch, I uh, thought, well, I want to stay, at, uh, stay on at university and I want to find an MA that suits me. And I, but I don't really particularly want to do history anymore, although mm. history is, of course, a fascinating subject. Um, and I found a, an MA on, in uh, literature, religion and philosophy at uh, the University of Sussex. And on one of those, uh, on that MA, there was a module entitled The Novel of Secular Scripture. And it looked at how, with the kind of decline in belief in um, biblical texts and in the established church in the 19th century, the novel kind of um, rose up and took on a lot of these um, these problems and these issues would be de- mm. debated and discussed within fiction. And we started off with George Eliot and we worked our way right the way through, I think, to McEwen, McEwen's Atonement. And on that module uh, was Iris Murdoch's The Bell. And... Um, yeah, and I suppose it was a revelation for me, really, to, to see that here is a novel that combines my interest, not just in history, but also literature. Um, the novel is suffused with religion and and philosophy, particularly Platonic philosophy, which I was interested in at the point in time. Mm. Um, and it came at a really good point for me in my early twenties uh, to to uh, to think about these uh, to think about these things. Yeah, from that I then wrote an MA dissertation and and the PhD, and 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 uh, it went from there really. And I just um, you know read them all read the philosophy and uh, yeah, it was uh, to find someone who thought in, maybe not as I did, but to thought in um, the same kind of areas was, uh, was great. Yeah. And you're, you're now the director of the Iris Murdoch Research Centre. Could you tell us a little about your work there? Yeah. So it started um, five years ago in 2016. It was really that a colleague of mine at the University of Kingston was retiring and, um, and the research was kind of coming to an end because she was the only Murdochian scholar there um who i I, for my money is the best madokian uh going at the moment um, professor Anne rowe who i'm very lucky to have as a visiting professor at um at the research center at chichester so although the the iris medical archive um still resides at the university of kingston and is very well looked after uh she said to me would you like to take it on which could would you and could you open a research center at chichester and um she said i'll support you with, with that and um and and so much else and so I put it to you know the powers that be at the university, and they're very keen. And uh, and yeah, I was uh, lucky and uh, and uh, grateful they supported me in that. And uh, yeah, we started um, started off, and um, yeah, we now have um, PhD students, visiting fellows, visiting and um, visiting professor. Mm. And uh, yeah, and it's it's going from strength to strength, not just with um, the work that we do in the centre um, with the our students, but also um, our outreach work and um, sort of promoting Murdoch on a wider level, really, just through the Irish Murdoch Review. Um, mm. through the new um, Iris Murdoch Society website and also through the podcast. Yes, I want to uh, get onto the podcast, but I, I was going to ask you, I've, I've spoken to people who run societies for people like you know, Shakespeare or, um, mm. or, or T.S. Eliot. It must be a, a, a much different, a very different experience f- for you to be dealing with someone well, well within living memory and presumably yeah. speaking to people who knew I- Iris Murdoch. Yeah. I, people always talk about the sort of writers' reputations after they die and whether they plunge or rise or that that kind of thing. This is this is essentially a very delicate and important phase of 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 Murdoch's reputation. What, what's what's that like speaking to people who remember her? It's great. I mean, um, I produced a uh, an edited work um, in 2019 for her centenary that brought together so many people that did know her um, with memories and stories, and um, and that did very well. It's still full available. Yeah, so to, to get those together, but also mm. to speak to um, to Peter Comradi, her um, official biographer, who's still alive, and I've, you know, numerous conversations with him, and that's been great. And 
to support my own understanding of how Murdoch um, work, is working. Obviously, we've all got our own particular reading of the novels, but to, to speak to someone who knew her, and also, um, you know, there's so much archival material that he provided, but also um, the, the collected letters that came out in, in 2015, mm. um, and, and other biographies as well um, by um, people like Ian Wilson. And they all provide a very different picture of, of Murdoch, but also I think they would all agree that none of them ever came close to knowing what she was really like in, in total. And I think people felt that in her life as well, that she'd have her London life, her Oxford life, her life where she would write to people, but also mm. her fantasies and her desires. And this, this idea of this, this um, saintly older woman um, is partially right, but also is, I think when, when the biographies came out, it, people were shocked to learn that she had um, a very interesting and diffuse sex life, for example, mm. um, and you know, relationships with men and women and that, that caused her difficulties during her life. And yet, you know, she was so active and, and she can, and she, it, it's, it amazes me that she was able to write fiction for three hours, philosophy for a few hours, letters for several hours. She just had mental capacity to do this every day, day in, day out and produce what was quite often a novel a year, which mm. is some going. I, I was really interested by, by something you said earlier about, about her, her novels having the the you know the plots there for people who aren't necessarily picking up on certain references um and you can you can read the novels and, and not catch the connotations of certain mm. names D was she ever sort of explicit about that process about saying well i need i need to write something that works on one yes. level and then fill it with other stuff in in, in her in interview and, and there's there's lots and lots of i mean i think she's one of the most documented novelists of the past 50 or 60 years there's so much out there including in the archive at the university of kingston and she said that her main aim was just to write a jolly good yarn and if people <laughs> enjoyed them as you know as, as just as, as stories then that'd be absolutely fine mm. um she made a dis distinction between um a good story and um something that was would be a consoling fantasy and she did said i never want to write consoling fantasies that sort of take people into themselves um, she wanted to write stories that brought people out of themselves and got them to think about the big questions in life. Mm. But yeah, as you say, they, it works on different levels. Um, you know, there are um, little pieces there for um, people who are interested in the Greeks or in Shakespeare or in the Romantic poets, for example. And then you come on to people, you know, like me, scholars who are interested in, well, how far does the life come in? Um, are some of these characters reminiscent of people in, her, in Murdoch's real life? Um, and now that we've got her journals and her letters, um, that kind of biographical readings come more easily. And yet they can sometimes take away from, you know, that first aesthetic reading of the novel. So mm. it, it's really a balancing act, I think, um, but a fascinating one. Uh, you mentioned the the podcast as well, which uh, is, is is brilliant. You, you, you make these you. detailed explorations of the novels uh, and you have uh, wonderful guests, but you also have these interesting... Uh, topics of conversation like a, a recent one on music and singing uh which mm. actually we, we touched on with the you know the 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 sisters and their madrigals um uh, where did you get started with the with the podcast well I, as i said i've got some wonderful people that work with me in the mm. research center and prior to um lockdown last year um i was teaching under the net to my first year so i teach um a, a particular murdoch novel across undergraduate and postgraduate uh, at the university of Chichester. Mm. and um, I had some of my colleagues in the research centre in, and I said, well, wouldn't it be fun if before we did the lecture, we just all sat down and had a chat about Under the Net, and it, I made it into a podcast just for fun. Mm. And then uh, lockdown happened, and I thought, well, let's continue. Um, we've got a wonderful um, society and a wonderful group of people spread throughout the world, and um, it's, 
everybody's friendly and delightful to work with. And quite often I would come up with ideas for podcasts. And um, I think, well, who would be great for that? And I'd email them and almost invariably people would just say, yeah, that'd be lovely. I'd love to talk. And because we, because there's some people I don't get to see from one year to the next, maybe they, they live in Australia or the States or elsewhere to have that, to have some connection. And certainly over the past year, it's been great, I think for me, but, uh, but also for them and to get some ideas going. Um, but yeah, that, it's, it's kind of you to say that, but I think it's the guests that make it. I'm just there really as a sounding board. Um, you know, the guests make the, the podcast what they are. I'll make sure to include uh, links because uh, I'm sure people listening would love to, to hear uh, some of your podcasts. I, th- I think you've, you've done at least th- three or four of the novels. Um, yes. The, yeah. The and, bell the, Under yeah, the Mat. Yeah, The Bell, uh, Word Child. Uh, Word Child. Yeah, Fairly Honourable Defeat was um, one that we did. Uh, when was that? That would have been last year for its mm. um, its its fiftieth. And yeah, I'm always looking um, for works that have got a particular anniversary. So this year, um, later on this year, we'll, I'll have one on Severed Head, which is sixty years, and one on um, An Accidental Man, which I think is fifty years since wow. publication. It's also, I think, it's um, as you know, it's um, trying to work out what's going to work best. But also, I think because there are a limited number of novels even though there are 26 i don't want to use up everything uh, straight away so to kind of intersperse it with kind of thematic podcasts or interviews mm. um i think that's always fun mix it up a bit yeah definitely uh i suppose that's the good thing of having such a prolific author is there's pl- plenty of anniversaries yeah there's something every year yeah i mean you could easily have a podcast that lasts um easily 10 years or more um <laughs> the, the, the great thing is i think when because i organize the the conferences um every other year uh, we had a great one at Oxford in 2019 for a centenary. We obviously haven't managed to. We're having one online later this year, um, mm. and then back in person hopefully next year. You know, pe- people give you. I think people give you ideas then, ways of thinking about Murdoch that I never thought before. And people might do a, a whole 20-minute paper on Murdoch's engagement with champagne, or <laughs> yeah, which was fantastic, or um, um, how Murdoch might be read in India. So in Murdoch and eco-criticism there's all sorts of different kind of ways in approaching Murdoch and quite a number of which I never think about before but it's also about thinking about your audience and who's going to be listening because I you know it's uh, people have been very kind in 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 tuning in and listening to the the podcasts and trying to get ones you know I think um, the one on Murdoch for beginners is a good is a good starting point as well yes yeah and on on that note I was going to ask you what what, this today's uh well the Green Knights podcast is is probably not where to start for uh, for people who haven't read Murdoch before, where, where would you suggest? Yeah, I think, I mean, may, maybe having having a look at the, um, the the blurb for for the novel might might uh, might might encourage you, might put you off. Mm. Um, it is a it's a good novel. Um, some people, if you're approaching it and you you know you've never read a Murdoch before, you might be put off by some of the uh, some of the detail. Um, some some perhaps you might see it's is long winded. Um, I did an interview uh, a couple of years, 18 months, two years ago with with five books that's online uh, where I, I, I talked about where to start mm. and what I thought were the five best Murdoch novels. Unfortunately, Green Knight didn't make the list. Um, <laughs> Green Knight, would, it would be in my top 10, I think, now, um, having reread it recently uh, for, the podca- for this podcast. I would definitely start with The Bell, um, her fourth novel. Um, she mm. always called it her lucky novel. Uh, that contains a great deal of her interests. It's also quite short. It's only 250, 300 pages. Mm. I think um, there was a great new edition that came out with an introduction by Sarah Perry in 2019. 
if not um, that one, um, that, that split between London and a, um, a quasi-religious community in Gloucestershire mm. called Imber, uh, or Under the Net, which is um, almost entirely set in London, um, partially set in Paris as well. Um, that's her first novel and also a really good place to start. That's um, a comedic kind of um, jeu d'esprit, really. That's very much indebted to elements of Sartre, Samuel Beckett, and the French novelist Ramon Cuno. Whereas I think the bell is far more pastoral in nature. Um, so, yeah, I mean, people often say to me, why shouldn't I start with the Sea the Sea? It won the book, everybody knows about it. Again, I think a little bit like The Green Knight, you've got to build up to the Sea the Sea. But mm. I also know plenty of people that started with the Sea the Sea, loved it, and then read everything else. Or started with The Black Prince, which um, won the James Tate uh, in 73, 72, 73. Mm. Um, so again, sometimes books just speak to people. So, I, you know, if you've got a Murdoch on the shelf and you've only got one and it's not one that I've recommended, just pick it up anyway, see how you get on with it. But yeah, The Bell and Under the Net would be would be my go-tos, I think. And it's certainly the two that I, I give to my students at undergraduate level. We were talking about her um, having free reign with her editing because she, everyone was keen to sell and have the next um, Iris Murdoch novel. Uh, where... Do you think her, her reputation is today? Is she as well read? Has is that, is that changed much in the years since um, she died? Uh, yes, yeah, so I think quite often after an author dies, she died in uh, in ninety nine. Um, reputation generally does take a, um, a tumble, a plunge. People think, well, how did you know to be overrate her? And that continued with Murdoch right up until around the same time that I sort of finished my PhD, I suppose. Um, mm. And I think it certainly was on the fiction side. It received a huge boost with. Um, the centenary in 2019 um but even before then the fiction was picking up a little bit in terms of recognition and sales but um curtis brown her agents did a fantastic job along with penguin in promoting the new vintage classics with new introductions mm. uh, which came out in some um dust jackets uh, which i think are very attractive for for now um however the, the philosophy has is now around the same time metaphysics of guide to morals and for sort of um, 15 20 years after that it wasn't particularly well regarded and yet now in the last 10 years um the philosophy has almost taken on a life of its own and mm. she's now very well regarded amongst philosophers both in the uk europe um at the states and indeed further afield in fact my most popular podcast has been on murdoch and murdoch's uh three essay collection the sovereignty of good um, that was mm. published in 1970 which if any philosophers um, um, listening in, uh, definitely that would be the, the collection to get, which you can find in um, her collected essays from 97 Existentialists and Mystics. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it, the, the reputation for the fiction has still got to come up a bit, I think. But certainly um, since doing the podcast, so many people have got in touch and said that um, not only they've enjoyed it, but they've gone back to Murdoch uh, and reread her, um, which has been um, a great thing. Um, I mean, that's really all, you know, to highlight awareness of her work is really, the reason for putting on the podcast so yeah it's been a, it's been a pleasure the last year doing it yeah um we, we mentioned earlier uh, her her work being a, a touchstone for for people like martin amos i was interested to see if you thought there was anyone writing to i mean i know martin amos is still writing today but is there is there anyone writing today who's a bit an inheritor of not inheritor that's the wrong word but but someone who's comparable to to murdoch's style um people and people writing in different genres as well Mm. um so i think you can see her influence on zadie smith on alan hollinghurst on ian McEwan. uh yeah maybe slightly on amos perhaps not 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 as much as the others people who are kind of the heirs to murdoch in in, in that sense I would, I would say those writers 
but also she's um, the, the authors who wrote some fantastic introductions to the new editions, like um, Daisy Johnson, who wrote a, uh, the introduction to the new See the Sea, um, Sophie Hanna, um, Garth Greenwell as well, who was um, so kind to come on the podcast for Fairly Honourable Feet and adores Murdoch. Mm. Um, so people come from different angles, different kind of um, traditions. Sarah Walters is another one. So all, all of whom have spoken very highly about Murdoch in the last couple of years. Um, Sarah Perry as well. So how much she took. I mean, Sarah Perry wrote um, part of her PhD thesis on Murdoch. I think you can see that influence on the Essex, um, the Essex Serpent and on Melmoth. Mm. Um, so yeah, different genres, different types of writing, but all of um, all, all these authors are very much inspired, I think, by uh, by by Murdoch's work. Brilliant. Well, I'll be leaving some links to some of those for people to check out as well. That would be great. Thanks. Yeah, um, uh, Miles, I, I, that's, I've come to the end of my questions there. Thank you so much for. Um, for for coming on did we miss anything that's important to say about green knight or 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 anything else goodness i think we've been fairly comprehensive ash with thinking about green knight we've had so much to say because it is a it's a it's it is a long novel but it's also a very deep novel i think uh touching on so many so many universals but um also i don't want to say too much more because i think that would perhaps even go towards spoiling um quite uh, some some of the elements of the novel so um no i'm, I'm happy to leave it there and i'm hope i hope people will maybe not pick this one up first although they might but um, maybe get around to it and explore it uh, a little bit later on so no it's been a real pleasure thanks for having me on and that's all we have time for today i'm afraid a huge thank you once again to miles leeson remember to uh, check out the links in the episode description box to find out more about his work and until next time i wish you all some very happy reading Thank you.